This podcast is for general information only. It is not intended as a substitute for general health care services. If you have medical conditions, you need to see your doctor. Use of this information is at the user's own risk. Welcome to FitRx with Dr. Greg Dennis. Join me as we challenge the standard sick model of healthcare. This is your source for everything health, wellness, prevention, fitness, biohacking, and more. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of FitRx. I'm your host, Dr. Greg Dennis. Uh, very excited about our guest today, Dr. Eric Westman. He is definitely a leader in the low-carb community. He has been doing this for a long time. He is Associate Professor of Medicine at Duke, and he is the director at the Duke Keto Medicine Clinic. He is board certified in obesity medicine and internal medicine. He is the author of several books, including The New Atkins for a New You, Keto Clarity, Cholesterol Clarity, uh, and his most recent book, End Your Carb Confusion, A Simple Guide to Customize Your Carb Intake for Optimal Health. So, Dr. Westman, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. So, I always like to, to get a little bit of background on my guests, and so just kind of tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and your background and how you got involved in uh, obesity medicine. Sure. I'm an internal medicine specialist. So I trained at the University of Wisconsin in Madison and then did fellowship and residency University of Kentucky in Lexington and then a fellowship at Duke University. And I didn't know anything about obesity. <laughs> about how to treat it, what caused it. Um, I didn't know anything about nutrition. I, you know, in medical training, we just didn't get any nutrition or obesity uh, teaching. And I, I'm sad to say that's pretty much true today still. You know, and I was in training, you know, 30 years ago. So um, there were a couple. So I was at Duke in a clinical research program, I, I wanted more advanced training to try to learn how to do clinical trials and thought that might be a role that I could play. And I got involved in clinical research at Duke, but we still had to have a clinical presence. So I was working at the VA hospital in Durham, Veterans Affairs Hospital, and two of my patients came through the office having lost all this weight. That was remarkable. I mean, it's, it's unusual today or back then to have someone just lose weight on their own. I mean, you know, um, so, and I kept sending all my patients to the hospital dietitians and they didn't seem to have much luck. So it was two patients who kind of showed me and, and they were, you know, polite or, or took me along to teach me that what they'd done is what was called the Atkins diet at the time. And one of them though, kind of tried to shock me a bit. He said, all I ate was steak and eggs. And I was like, really? Oh my gosh, this can't be good for you. And uh, remember this is 20 years ago for me. <laughs> so I, one thing led to another. I, I went to the library, to look at books. I went to the bookstore to look at books. And one of the only doctors who was still in practice that I could visit was Dr. Atkins. 
Dr. Um, Eads, who wrote Protein Power, who, who had a practice in the Midwest, had retired. Their husband-wife team, Doc, uh, Mike and Mary Dan Eads, um, and Dr. Ornish, a uh, prominent Ornish diet. He didn't have a clinic where you could go visit. It was really kind of a research practice. So, you know, I, I wrote Dr. Atkins a letter and said, you know, what's, what's going on? A couple of my patients did your diet. And I mean, it's kind of funny now looking back, he, he called me back and, and said, you know, what do you want? And I said, well, you know, I had a couple of patients do your diet and they lost all this weight. He kind of laughed and said, well, yeah, you know, I've been doing this 30 years. And, uh, and I said, uh, well, all, where's the data? And he said, it's all in my book. And I said, with all due respect, Dr. Atkins, I read your book. And it's all anecdotes, you know, it's case studies, which, which is a way to teach people how to do it. You know, today that's now happening on Twitter, but back then it was in these books. And I said, that's not good enough. And then he, he kind of thought for a moment and said, well, why would I want to do research? I, I, I know what you're going to find with research. I've been doing it 30 years, but, you know, not to be... Um, uh, stopped. I kept persisting. No, you need to do research, your research. And so he finally kind of broke the stalemate and said, why don't you come visit my office in New York City? So this was 1998. And I visited Dr. Atkins office. He had a busy practice in midtown Manhattan. And it clearly worked. I mean, I, I saw people come into the office having lost weight. I looked at charts and people were doing fine. And um, but I thought, well, it's a consulting practice. Maybe you know, not everyone comes back and maybe not everyone has great results and all that. So I, I had a you know, pull out of my pocket this uh, research for 50 people over six months. We would do it down at Duke. And um, over lunch, we said, well, you know, we'll do this study back home. And he pulled out a checkbook and wrote the check for the first study we did on the Atkins diet. Remember, this is 1998. Okay. So, so one study led to another, led to another. And I, you know, I'm still skeptical about this. I, I worried about the cholesterol levels, as a lot of people are today. And, and even um, our Annals of Internal Medicine paper that was published in 2004, shows that, you know, some people have a rise in LDL cholesterol on a low fat diet when they lose weight, <laughs> not only just a low carb, but also, this, so this LDL thing was, you know, I've been learning and hearing about this a long time. So sadly, Dr. Atkins dies in 2003. <clears throat> Our big study in, in the Annals of Internal Medicine that kind of created the, if you remember, there was a craze Atkins, 2003, 2004. That was based on the research that we, we were doing. And then Dr. Atkins dies and the Atkins diet kind of fades away because no one wants to follow the diet of a doctor who's deceased, right? I mean, which is one reason why you don't hear me say this is the Westman diet, right? Because, <laughs> you know, I, I can't thwart, you know, one day I will die, right? Sure, so, sure. Um, but, and that's the funny thing because, no one says that, that Einstein's theories can't be good because he passed away. You know, it's a, a lot of the kind of unfair things that we do to doctors, especially diet doctors. Sure. But anyway, so so I got into this because of the research and the curiosity. And then we opened the clinic at Duke and private, the private practice um, side of Duke um, to help people lose weight. It's called an obesity medicine practice now because I realized all I did was the keto diet. It's called the keto medicine practice, uh, keto medicine clinic. And we've been doing that now for 15 years. Uh, Dr. Yancey and I, Will Yancey is one of my 
research colleagues here at Duke, and he kept getting funded through the VA Veterans Affairs uh, mechanism and have been studying up until the last couple of years the Atkins diet. So um, I guess in a nutshell, my, my brother says, ah, that's my brother, Eric. He, he validated the Atkins diet, you know, end of story. It's like, wait a minute. It took longer than that, you know. <laughs> you, know I, you have to understand that back in 1998, everyone thought, you might just die in a day by eating fat, let alone fix diabetes and obesity and all these other things now that, uh, and just, you know, recently the paper came out, the nurse's health study where they actually put metabolic syndrome and diabetes in the heart disease model. And these totally overwhelmed the cholesterol effect mm-hmm. on, on someone's risk for heart disease. Sure. But it's really, it's taken 20 years for, for this kind of movement of just a small movement that the clinical doctors knew all this stuff, but they hadn't done any research behind it. And me coming from the academic world and still in the academic world, um, I'm uh, one of the people who talks about this and teaches it. I, I taught it at the Obesity Medicine Association, which is the largest group of doctors who treat obesity today. Um, not everyone there uses a keto diet, but many do. Uh, and uh, uh, that was chronicled in a new book called The Case for Keto by Gary Taubes. Uh, Gary did, is a, a journalist, but he wrote this book that was just really helpful for me called Good Calories, Bad Calories, to try to wrestle with the idea, how did this all happen, you know? Uh, but, but I read other people's research, not just my own. That's, that's a flaw in today's research world is often researchers don't read anyone else's research, but I still do. And you know, I've been following David Ludwig at Harvard and Christopher Gardner at Stanford, who are, they've been you know, at least low carb uh, incorporating into their research. And that's where we came up with End Your Carb Confusion, this book that is in layman's terms. You know, what do you really need to know about carbs? Does everyone need to do keto? No, I don't think so. I mean, it can be very therapeutic. And I'm sure, as you know, in a physician's office, I mean, you need to be careful. It's so strong. If people are on medications, you need to cut them way back uh, in some cases on the first day. So, you know, we're um, uh, knowing that this is a powerful kind of approach. Uh, we wrote this book to just introduce you know, to someone who might, oh, you know, I never do keto, but, but I want to know about sugar. I want to know, you know, so sugar now is getting the momentum behind it as the fat, really sugar is the bad guy in terms of health, not fat in the food, at least not the way the diet is today, you know, and a very diplomatic way of saying it is, well, back then, you know, maybe fat was the culprit or, or, you know, I'm not, I wasn't ever really convinced about the old data from the 70s and 80s, Ansel Keys, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, the Andrew Carr Confusion book, we're trying to just get the information out about what we've learned in the research world and clinical world as well, about why you want to be careful with the amount of sugar that, and sugar and starch that you consume. So sure. that, that's, that's kind of my story that I got into this as a kind of unwitting uh, doctor who didn't, like most doctors, don't, didn't know much about nutrition and self-taught along yeah. the way. And, and then I took advantage of the doctors who had used it for their lifetimes. Uh, you know, I didn't just try to figure it out and come up with it on my own. I borrowed on the clinical knowledge 
thinking that maybe they had learned something in their careers, uh, but then wanting the scientific validation with the randomized trials and modern day um, measurements that we have. Yeah, yeah, no, that's great. Uh, yeah, it's it's a shame that doctors have to learn this on their own, and I'm the same way. I mean, I didn't know anything about nutrition. Uh, I've always been into fitness, and so you know, I I kind of knew a little bit just for myself. But as far as as a practitioner and and you know, being able to help people uh, and give them nutritional advice, that was just something I, I didn't uh, have any training in. And and so many who listen to this podcast have heard my story about this kind of discovering this several years ago. And since I have, I feel like I have been able to help more patients just in the oh, last yeah. couple of years than in the previous 10 combined, uh, you know, because I've been able to get patients off medicines, reverse their diabetes. I mean, all this stuff that I just never was taught was even an option. And, and so uh, I'm, I'm curious, you know, being at a, a place like Duke, that's, uh, you know, an academic, uh, you know, very prestigious place, what kind of, I guess, feedback you get, because even here where I'm at, I mean, I've, I've really helped people a lot. Then they go to a specialist and, you know, the special, oh, you don't, you don't want to do keto and they don't even have a good reason. I mean, I've had patients that off medicine and they feel great. And then they tell their cardiologist that and their cardiologist says, well, you don't want to do that. I mean, just despite the fact that they've lost weight and now they're off medicine, they don't have a good reason. And so um, there's still just, just a lot of misinformation out there. And so I'm curious at a, at a you know, place like Duke, I mean, how, how does that fit in there? Do you, do you get a lot of pushback from your, from your colleagues at Duke? Yeah, not anymore. Okay. I mean, I, I think um, one of the things I did is to get into the medical school residency education so that students can rotate through a class where they see the different weight loss programs, not just, not just mine, but, uh, and then residents rotate through the clinic so they see the real world application of this. And, you know, but Duke has an interesting history. It's had a lot of different weight loss programs. It was actually the, the stop on the way from New York City to Miami, well, from Miami to New York City, back when after people had, uh, you know, had consumed lots of things in Miami, they made it back to New York by train, and they would stop in Durham along the way um, to lose weight. So Durham has had a, uh, starting with the rice diet, a long history of residential and kind of extreme diet programs. Um, of course, the rice diet being a very low calorie diet with lots of carbs, but it's not many carbs, it's very low calorie, that can work. That's kind of the classic ultra low fat Ornish or Pritikin approach. Uh, Durham had one and, and um, it really kind of put Duke on the map in the 30s, 1930s and 40s. Um, now the rice diet has closed. You can't go to that anymore. And But there was a Duke residential program for years. Um, I'm afraid it's a COVID casualty at the moment. But so, um, and yet, um, so Duke has a long clinical tradition, although most of the, the academic research is not low carb friendly. In fact, the NIH sort of diet by consensus called the DASH diet is one that's had a lot of study here at Duke and, you know, the other side of town. And, and um, in, there aren't any, any obesity medicine specialists that I'm aware of that use the DASH diet. It's just, it's not potent you know, so it's like the, the traditional approach for NIH in the past, and hopefully it'll change, is that we don't need to have things that work. We just have to have things that look good. 
right? They, they look good in terms of nutrients and they, they, they sound good, but, but practically doctors don't use it because it's just people, you can't run a business on a diet that doesn't work, right? Sure. Yeah. Um, so, uh, well, or if someone uses a DASH diet, they use a pharmaceutical uh, appetite suppressant in addition to it. Uh, you can use a low carb or keto diet without any medications because the appetite goes down just as much as, uh, as fentermine or fenfen or any of the, or Qsimia, Saxenda, the other, you know, I just kind of cringe when a new drug comes out for weight loss. It's, well, yeah, you can do that or you can just change the food, right? Um, that keto in, or low carb, high fat, it's gone through different names. Um, and, but even the low glycemic, low carb, you know, just, I've had, I've seen people with the metabolism, right? All I do is they change the sugar out of the drinks. They cut the sugar out of the drinks and they lose weight. And, and it, it can be in the same family. I mean, so one of the reasons we wrote Ender Carb Confusion is, you know, people like my brother can have fruit all day long and not gain weight. And he's the, he's naturally athletic and you know, he's the one who played college basketball while I was, you know, in medical school, you know, sitting, you know, uh, studying. And so, you know, how do you wrestle with the idea that people can have carbs and be healthy? Well, it's different metabolism and, um, and um, just getting the, the pendulum shifting toward, you know, from fat is bad toward sugar is bad metabolically, I think is happening. I mean, I, I, I it's a slow change, that's for sure. But um, and, and the idea that exercise fixes everything is something ingrained in the medical profession, partially, in, and this is really kind of chilling, it's, it's almost like what the tobacco industry did, the sugar industry or, or sugary beverages, they funded researchers to study exercise, to take the, the um, focus off of diet. That's where I, you know, I wondered for years, I had a colleague in the weight loss world. I, I, I like him a lot, but he, he would always talk about exercise. You know, he would have an hour and he would always talk about exercise. So, you know, excuse me, you know, actually diet does really well, you know? And um, uh, it turns out he was funded by Coca-Cola for, for, you know, like a million dollars a year in his research, you know, outside the grant mechanism in order so that there was an old strategy for tobacco to fund the researchers in something other than studying tobacco, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and there's only so much time in the day, hours in the day. So if you distract the researchers onto the things that, you know, have nothing to do with us, <laughs> you know, right, or right. sugar, it's an industry tactic that's been used a lot. And it's insidious. I mean, there are well-intentioned researchers who don't think that big in that bigger picture but yeah a lot of doctors will just say ah just exercise more eat less and and they, because they've never had a weight problem themselves right they can say things that don't work and and um well that's a different issue they they just don't know because of their own metabolism and that they can say things that don't work because their practice doesn't depend upon that to work you know, um, we've been teaching doctors to use medications now for decades, not not diet, not yeah. lifestyle. For and sure. yeah. uh, fortunately, that uh, you know, doctors like you are are uh, wanting to gravitate toward things that really do work, that really do help our patients. Uh, but there are so many doctors that are happy to just yeah. um, 
tick off the check boxes to follow guidelines while while they manage diseases and people just get worse. That's it. That's, yep. that's kind yep. of sad. No, no doubt. No doubt. Well, well, let's get into your book just a little bit. And so kind of the, the first part of your book, and we don't have to spend a lot of time on, on this first part, but uh, you, you kind of talk about how, how we got here. You talked about how you got here as an obesity specialist, but as a society, how did we get here? How, you know, why, why is obesity such a problem? Yeah, it, it's what I alluded to is that we had a focus on the wrong culprit so to speak, you know, and it can be uh, said like many people do, we, we blamed the burger for what the bun did of a hamburger, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> it was, uh, it was weak science, you know, we, we call that, um, you know, non-randomized, non-prospective science that got us into this idea, us meaning the um, America and organizations and then the dietary guidelines all focused on fat being the bad thing dietary fat without regard to the well-known physiology that it's actually sugar and starch that get turned into fat in the liver. And then that gets exported out to our fat cells. So that the idea, um, actually the idea of restricting fat to treat obesity was just based on the idea that there are more calories per gram in the fat. And while that's true, you know, there's nine grams of uh, uh, nine calories in a gram of fat. There are only four in a gram of carbs. If all someone has to do is eat three more grams of carbs for every gram of fat that they don't eat, and then they'll be getting more calories. So the whole idea of having people lose weight based on the knowledge or the, the real aspect of fat having more calories is that says nothing about how it will play out in the real world when now people are having snack wells and and uh, you know candy that's marketed as sure as as fat free so it's good for you and so pop culture got the in and did really well marketing that fat in the food was bad and sugar really has a free free pass uh, you can have as much as you wanted and I mean I, I remember Halloween with mounds of candies and, and I would trade with my and I know that happens today still the idea that fat was bad in the food never really was scientifically proven although we kind of just thought it was <laughs> now you know fortunately the uh, books and uh, have been written on this we try to summarize it in a way that's that's readable and easy and just kind of say that you know we went through that and now we, some people knew all along, but now we know today that it's sugar because the blood sugar goes up and because the blood sugar goes up, it's insulin in the body that is causing the fat generation and fat storage as well. So you want to keep the insulin low. You want to keep, and one way to do that is to keep the sugar low in the food. And so it's shifting from, um, the uh, fat is bad in the food to sugar is bad. Sure. Okay. And uh, so then also in your book, you go on to talk about the ADAPT, e, uh, A-D-A-P-T. Um, so kind of explain what that is. You, uh, you call it adapt your life diet. And then you talk about finding your carb threshold. Uh, so, you know, just kind of explain what the ADAPT diet is and a little bit about that. Yeah. So I got involved as a founder of a company called Adapt Your Life with a um, business partner, now friend through the years, gosh, six, five, six years ago. And we had the idea of providing um, very low carb keto products. 
starting with some bars and, and, and it, you know, it, it, it's tough to create a business on that. It's really tough. I've seen other companies, I've, I've gone to keto fairs, keto, there actually it was something is, hopefully it'll be back again, called Keto Fest and Keto Con and, and uh, Low Carb USA. And vendors would come out to have tables and show new products. And a lot of them have come and gone, but some have persisted. Uh, but through this relationship with my business partner, we really came to grips with the idea that not everyone has to do keto metabolically. Like I was saying, you know, how my, my business partner is a, a cyclist. He, he exercises, he, he you know, is almost competitive level and he eats more carbs and does great. He doesn't have to be keto. You know, although some exercise people do keto and they win world records, you know, but not everyone has to do that. So we wanted to come up with a, a teaching um, uh, tool. A book is one of them. We also have a set of online digital classes now at the Adapt Your Life Academy so that we're trying to teach people keto or, or no, you don't have to do keto. And that's through Adapt Your Life. Um, the Adapt Diet is basically the, um, another kind of branding of what we've known for a long time in terms of different levels of carbs. Uh, you know, the Atkins Diet has different levels. The South Beach Diet has different levels, the kind of uh, different phases, however you want to say it. So the first uh, phase of the Adapt diet is basically a keto level carb restricted diet, much like the Atkins induction. You know, but but the new Atkins that I'm an author on, they had us write that book with net carbs in mind, not total carbs. And I find in my clinic that it, that doesn't work for a lot of people. So the uh, in the Adapt Your Life book and in our teaching and what I do in my clinic, I use total carbs, not net carbs, as the way to calculate. Um, and, and it's not that this is right or wrong. It's just that the kind of prescription strength keto uh, is the 20 gram total per day, whereas over the counter strength would be 20 net carbs. But then I, I see some people getting into trouble with products now, keto this, keto that, keto cookie, keto, keto cupcake. And, and you know, they, um, using net carbs, you can get distracted by all those things. And that's another main point of the under carb confusion teaching is we want people to use real foods, not fake foods, not, not pills and products. And, you know, you don't have to drink bulletproof coffee and apple cider vinegar. What, what's called keto today has been kind of distracted by all of these different products and companies. And well, I'm glad for the increase in notoriety and attention to keto that if you come into keto today, you're going to be confused by what is keto? Is it just drinking this keto product, for example. No, no, no. It, it really should be based in real food. And um, a lot of people are surprised to find out that actually protein comes first. So we still talk about protein, not ketones and just fats and eating fats and oils. But so the endocarb confusion starts with phase one. It, it, um, while we do kind of recommend everyone to try the first phase, because you might not know that it, your heartburn was from the carbs you ate. You might not know that your joint pains actually get better. Your migraines go away, you know, unless you try the 20 gram or less. But we have a table for people to uh, just look at, and it's not a blood test level. It's more a clinical 
syndromes that you can fall into. And so you take this little checklist of information uh, in the boxes of the table, it'll put you in one of three categories to begin with, to give you an idea of where we think you probably will be. Um, and then um, now that I've done this for you know, 15 years in a clinic, I'm helping a lot of people try to figure out whether they can add back carbs if they want to. Um, but you know that's one of the realizations after 20 years of me studying and using this in the clinic, I'm quite comfortable if someone stays keto as long as they're eating real foods for forever. I mean, there is no, remember the term essential nutrient, there's no essential nutrient that's a carbohydrate, meaning mm -hmm. we can make all of it internally without consuming it. Yeah. So, so the people who can tolerate carbs probably aren't coming to see you uh, because they're probably not overweight, but, but how does somebody know how much carbohydrates they can tolerate? Is it just as simple as that, you know, they watch the scale and they, you know, if they kind of raise their carbs, they gain weight, then they know that they're more sensitive to carbohydrates. How, how does kind of one know what their carb threshold is? Yeah. So, you know, if you fall, if you're someone who would come to my office, it's obvious, right? If, if you have obesity, diabetes, but what's very interesting is um, high blood pressure, hypertension can be from carbs because of the salt retention that insulin creates. Uh, so you might not have obesity, but if you have hypertension, this can be from carbohydrate, uh, excessive carbohydrates. If you have prediabetes, so you don't have um, you know, overt diabetes yet, and you don't have obesity, but your doctor's finding that your blood sugar is going up over time, your, your blood sugar and your insulin levels both are going up, and this is uh, actually known as uh, insulin resistance. And a lot of people ha are, have no obesity uh, uh, that you wouldn't know just by looking. Uh, and there's some fascinating videos that doctors have done about their own experience where you know, they're, they're athletic, uh, one doctor was a, a elite uh, swimmer, could swim across uh, this uh, uh, you know channel and back, and, and then woke up and found that he had this belly of, of what, what's called what's really known as metabolic syndrome. So you have abdominal circumference that's gone up, your blood sugar is a little high, but maybe not diabetes. Your blood pressure is a little high, but maybe not to the hypertension levels. Um, you have a high triglyceride in the blood, a low HDL. All of these are things that you wanna pay attention to and address the carbs in the diet. We go, you know, I'm known as a keto guy. I mean, I, in fact, I finally, you know, got my first vanity plate, vanity license tag, you know, in, in North Carolina, and it says keto doc on it, you know, so they know me as the keto diet, but you don't have to do keto, but you can still get benefits from lowering the carbs. And we go as high as 150 grams of carbs per day in endocarb confusion. So yes, you could, you could have, if your metabolism allows you, you can have fruit and toast and potatoes and pasta and rice. Now, you don't want to have 300 grams of that, which is kind of the typical American diet uh, currently. But um, uh, you know, we wanted to, we want to broaden the audience, get out of the keto echo chamber, and you know, if someone's just curious about carbs, I hope they take a look at the book and and um, 
don't worry, we won't lock you up in a keto prison, which is what I tell my patients, you know, just try it a couple of days. It's not like you're going to be jumping off a cliff. Yeah. So you, you have three phases in this adapt uh, diet. And, and so uh, walk us through, and then this will probably kind of define these phases as well, but, but walk us through what a patient experiences when they, when they come into your clinic. So um, I would think coming into your clinic, they're, they already know a little bit about what you do and, and they're, they're already maybe motivated. You said you kind of start them off kind of keto on this phase one. And so just kind of walk us through your process that, that obviously has worked. You've been doing it a long time uh, in, sure. in the clinic. Sure. Well, you know, the, so the book stands alone that you can learn a lot from it, but if you need the uh, advantage of an evaluation by a physician, um, I run what's called an obesity medicine practice. We teach this sort of thing at the Obesity Medicine Association, which um, meets a couple of times a year in the U.S. And I, I've taught a lot of doctors. I learned from doctors in that organization. So, no, in fact, in, in my clinic, it's interesting. I, I set it up so that I'm in the insurance pay Medicaid, Medicare system. A lot of people come in and they don't know what I do. They, they don't know who I am. Which, which is great in a way, because I have to, you know, be able to explain what it is compared to all the other things you can do. Um, and yes, some people do come in knowing the name of an age of my firstborn child. And that's a little spooky, a little sketchy, but, um, <laughs> you know, um, you know, I, I, the uh, evaluation of someone, uh, you know, we do a lot of time listening. I just bite my tongue for five minutes to hear someone's story about their weight over their life. And it might go on longer than that, but that in and of itself, often I'm the first doctor that's ever taken time to listen to someone's weight story. And, and that's a hallmark of an obesity medicine specialist is that we, we realize everyone's path is different. We, we wanna know what someone's been through. And then um, the feedback I get is, Later on, is you know you're the first doctor that ever listened to me, and and I, well that's right because this is a serious problem and um, we have to understand how people are have tried things before, what things have worked, what things that haven't worked. So we do a pretty detailed you know it, it's like any specialist type of history. You know if you were going to the skin specialist, you'd be getting a detailed skin history, right? So we get a detailed weight history and then. Um, What's fascinating is I've had people who've went, who, who've undergone weight loss surgery, and they've never tried a keto diet. They've never tried a low carb diet. And that just defies all logic, you know, but that's kind of the way this, the world has been. We, the medical world is, well, surgery is fine, but don't do that keto diet. I mean, for heaven's sake. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I'm You're being right, sarcastic right. because you don't have an operation when you just change the diet, you know, but again, there's this irrational fear of that, that word keto, I think, because we learned about it as ketoacidosis in medical school. But so, it's right. not, you know, I, I go through um, a past medical history to understand um, and uh, what kind of operations, medical problems people have, have come through. But, you know, if I am really pushed for time, the main thing I need to know is what medications people are on because the medicines can become too strong. 
And so, the, and this is a, a big lesson, take one point for someone just listening. If you're on medication and you don't know how strong this can be, you need to be followed by someone who understands this uh, physician or, or practitioner who knows how to de-prescribe medication. I've had people come off hundred units of insulin in a day because their blood sugar plummeted down. And so if you stay on insulin, for example, um, and you don't change the insulin, you can have a low blood sugar on the first day of doing the diet. It's that strong. Uh, or the other way to say it is we give people really dangerous drugs. You know, it's actually, I, I, I'm now at that point where I, I'm just kind of shocked at how we just are giving out drugs left and right. Well, not me, but the medical profession left and right without regard to, to all serious problems that can happen. But as the specialist now, I I take charge of these issues so I can help people come off the medicines safely. You know, we do a full physical with, um, with uh, you know, blood pressure and vital signs. Of course, a special scale that separates out the water weight and the fat weight, because sometimes there's a water weight gain that happens, especially early on in weight loss. And it frustrates people to no end because they'll come back and say, my scale isn't changing. And I, I'll politely look and say, well, actually, look, your fat weight's gone down and your water weight went up. That's why your scale didn't change, but you've lost fat weight. And so we get to reassure people about that. Um, we do some lab evaluation and that depends on the person, you know, in my area, we have a lot of doctors. Most people have had all the blood tests that they've needed before they come to me. Although we want to make sure thyroid has been checked. Uh, because if you miss that, it's, it's um, not that the approach won't work, but it, it just has other complicating factors if you have a low thyroid. So we be, we're sure to measure thyroid and we check more than just the TSH level. We do T4 and T3, which you know a general doctor might not do, but as a specialist, I feel it's my duty to not miss anyone you know, with kind of a screening approach to thyroid. Um, so the initial teaching is I do keto because that's what I know. I, I am known as a, uh, Dr. Yancey and I are known as a clinical center worldwide. We, we teach all around the world and um, uh, I, not everyone has to do keto, but it's what I'm most familiar with. And it's so simple. <laughs> I just give out a, a list of food and say, stay to this list. I, I don't need to ask about food preferences because they choose what they like. I, I, so I give a list of keto foods and, and say, eat what you like off this list. And it works really well for a lot of, for, for most people. Um, there is a video. I, I used to bring people to my office for a face-to-face uh, -face class. And we'll probably do that again post-COVID times. But right now I assign people to watch a video at home. But the reality there is a lot of people don't go home and watch the 30 minute video. So I can't be sure that they're getting that teaching. Um, so, you know, but we, we teach initially and then we follow up to make sure it's working, which is a big part of any ongoing program. Uh, there's tweaking of it. Um, uh, the, the most common thing is I have to help people unlearn what they've been taught, you know, uh, no, you don't have to have breakfast if you're not hungry in the morning. <laughs> no, if you're bored in front of the TV, you don't have to be munching on things. You know, uh, fortunately, a lot of that happens automatically. 
but um, but the evaluation is kind of like a typical specialist um, we bill within the insurance system and um, uh, it, you know, there are a growing number of people around the country doing this within insurance or, or managed care types of practices, which is exciting to see. Traditionally, the obesity medicine doctor has been a, a standalone doctor in private practice, like a cottage industry, their own uh, business. And that still happens, but um, I think we'll get more, uh, 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 more people will be able to use this service if we get it put into the insurance system and find ways to make it work in there. Uh, although there's nothing wrong with a concierge practice um, where um, in fact, you can give probably better service than I can in a you know, Duke big system where we have a standard computer that does a lot of other things that it's not focused on, on weight loss and obesity, but you know, there are a lot of ways to go about this. Like, like there's a, a um, uh, a line of uh, highway where we have all of the different car salesmen. You know, you probably they seem to be in the same area of town. You know, and, and the, the, all the cars drive; they all work. So once you get into the keto clinic, I mean, I don't try to sell you a, a low-fat diet. I mean, you know, so and but there's a lot of that. Of, there are a lot of ways to do it, and when you get into a certain program, there's um, a little bit about. The, the marketing of it and promotion that we all understand. Um, but I'll never say that another car doesn't drive. You know, I might say that mine's a little safer. You know, you don't need surgery to do a keto diet. You can eat pretty much all you want and eat tasty food. Uh, but I won't say that another diet doesn't work. And that, that's what my kind of segue into why we address the low glycemic diets and end your carb confusion. They can work and they're not keto. The, the low carb diets, um, but I, I still think it, the general focus should be on limiting the sugar and the starches rather than limiting the fats. Uh, although there are low fat diets that can work, it's just not the research I'm familiar with. So it's not the book that I write. How long does it typically take a patient to grasp onto these concepts? So when they come in to see you the first time, and uh, I guess you're, they're probably walking out with some educational material, what they can eat, et cetera. What kind of follow-up do you have with them? And then how long does it normally take these patients to, to just kind of get going on their own to where they can do this and understand it? Well, it's pretty amazing. Some people need very little time. They just need the direction. They just need the education. So, you know, if, um, and, and if you're not too worried about the why, why does it work or how, how does it work? Just what do I do? It it's, works like a dream, works like a charm because and, and I can't predict by educational level or, or by what food you eat or what stores you shop at or what I learned through my patients that people could eat at McDonald's off the dollar menu and lose weight on a keto diet. They just have the couple cheeseburgers, no bun, no fries. And if they're not hungry, they don't eat. So they're eating maybe once a day even. So this all falls into what's known today as kind of lazy, dirty keto. So the things I, the terms I hear out there, it's not lazy unless, you know, having other people do work for you is lazy. I mean, you know, it's not like you're lazy around and out being a bum and then dirty, meaning, you know, you don't need to have organic food every day. You don't have to have grass-fed beef. And um, while it's great if you can, I, I'm still not quite certain about the incremental benefit beyond just cutting carbs 
uh, and having you know regular ground beef from the the, the grocery store, uh, and yet I think a lot of that is marketing, kind of like being on that car car strip where they you know the fancier cars say ours are better because why? Well, because we have the I don't know computer in it or something. You know, they they still drive the ones that are not as That's expensive. Right. They get yeah. you from point A so to somebody- point B. Right. So, so somebody comes in, uh, say they start keto, they lose a bunch of weight and then do they go on? Is that what kind of the phase two and phase three is more kind of a, a maintenance phase to, to keep the weight off or kind of, kind of explain what the kind of the phase two and three are. Depending on your metabolism, you may come in and end up in phase two. You might not have to do phase one. So, and this falls into the folks who haven't had a whole lot of weight loss journey. You know, you maybe have only lost 20, 30, pounds. Um, it's fascinating today. There are a lot of people doing keto who don't need to be doing it. It's just, it's kind of fashionable. And uh, many of them are teaching. Mm-hmm. And so you'll get the bizarre thing of you need to be drinking and eating 150 grams of fat per day. Well, it was someone who never had to lose weight using a keto diet. <laughs> so the, the first thing to really gauge is whether you really need to have to go that low um, so you might fit into the 50 gram or 150 gram level per day and will help guide you into one of those categories. Uh, what I learned from visiting the doctors who use this, Dr. Atkins, Dr. Eads, Dr. Rosedale, Dr. Bernstein, who um, has a name as a type one uh, diabetic, Dr. Richard Bernstein, another brilliant uh, leader in the field. They all kept people at 20 grams or less until the goal was reached. And you don't see that in the books, in the the Atkins books, even South Beach, they say do two weeks of the first phase and then gradually increase. No, I find in the clinical setting, um, it'll stop working. So the teaching I learned is that you should stay stay at the lowest level until you're near your goal. Now, if someone, it's not uncommon in my office to have someone who needs to lose 200 pounds. I will keep people at the keto level for years and do my best to help them, you know, be happy with the food, satisfy, and at a rate of 50 to 100 per year of weight loss, 50 to 100 pounds, it may take several years to get to the goal. So then you can use endocarb confusion if you're at your goal. Can I add back carbs? Do I want to add them back? Which are the carbs that are the you know, healthiest ones to bring back? And you know, spoiler alert, it's gonna be the, the vegetables basically and berries and small amounts of, of nuts and fruits and things like that. It's not gonna be you know, uh, candy bars and, and sugar bombs that sure. are all in the stores. Yeah, yeah every now and then, um, probably no big deal. And that's another thing that we bring to the book. It's uh, not a uh, like, you know, the words I hear is keto police and, and shame and guilt. And I don't know, our style is more of, um, you know, every now and then, if you have something with sugar, it's not going to harm you much. I mean, if at all, kind of like a, um, just a common sense approach of, you know, if you were going to go out once a month with your friends and, and, you know, have a cigarette or a cigar, is that going to kill you? You know, probably not. Although if you start smoking, wouldn't be good, but uh, we don't have this uh, kind of phobic or, or um, sensationalist kind of response. It's just food, it's, and it's just the metabolic effects that happen 
Um, and some people need to be really strict about it. Others don't. Um, so I'm curious, do you have patients uh, do check their ketones at home or do, when they follow up with you in the clinic, do, do, do you check them there at the clinic or do you, do you see that that's worthwhile? Interestingly, no, I, I don't recommend the, well, I have people who do it, but not because I recommend it. <laughs> I, I used to. Okay. So when I started out, I thought, oh, you know, that was the Atkins method. You know, you check your urine ketones. And but I quickly found out that the, the morning urine often is negative when the evening is positive. So I had to start saying, well, you make sure you're doing the urine in the evening. And then we found if you look at 100 people, 20 won't show urine ketones ever at all. So most people, it'll, it'll reflect what's going on with the fat burning. In fact, they were called lipolysis strips for a while uh, and uh, because lipolysis means fat burning. Uh, but so it, it really just kind of confused people. I'm losing weight, I feel good, my hunger's gone. Why am I not in ketosis? So, and my style is one of keeping things simple and easy, practical for as wide to, to bring this open and, and available to as many people as possible. I don't recommend monitoring these things. You can now measure blood ketones and many of these monitors that measure blood sugar will measure blood ketones. Um, and it's a little added expense. Uh, it's a little, if there's a needle and you have to uh, stick your blood, but now there's a glucose monitor, uh, the continuous glucose monitors where you don't have to prick your finger all the time. I, I have never prescribed a continuous glucose monitor yet. So uh, I, um, yet a lot of people will use it and say it's extremely helpful to help them realize that they shouldn't have a berry or berries or bread. I'm like, well, but I told you not to have bread. I mean, so, so if you're going to be the, the kind of person who's going to not take what the recommendations are and, and question every little thing, it can be really helpful to measure your blood sugar. And, uh, you know, when the, when the watch the glucose measuring watch is able to non-invasively measure the glucose. Everyone's going to be eating this way because you're going to be seeing, oh my goodness, I just had half a banana and my blood sugar went up 20 points. You know, it, when you start eating toward the blood sugar, you're going to naturally gravitate toward the lower carb type of eating. But in the meantime, you don't have to measure all of that. Just it's the total grams of carbs. There's study after study after study. But if you want to show that is true in yourself, you can't. It's just a little extra effort. So you've been doing this for a long time. Uh, are there any stories that just stick out in your mind of, of you know, just a tremendous amount of, of weight loss or, or just, you know, a success story that kind of sticks out in your mind that, that you could share? Well, I mean, the, the diabetes reversal is amazing because I'm like the only doctor who ever mentions it, you know, and you get the kind of skeptical look in the eye at first, because even today, most of the other endocrinologists will just say, you're going to have diabetes forever. And then, so to be the first one to introduce that idea is really cool because there's no, there's no one happier as a patient than when they get off insulin and then they don't even have to check blood sugars anymore because they don't have diabetes. I mean, that is a big, you know, big shift in, in the, what they've been taught and what can actually happen. Of course, the weight loss is amazing. And this is known mainly as a weight loss diet. It's a, it's a fat burning diet. So if you have extra weight on your body, a fat weight, you're going to 
burn that first. And, you know, that's phenomenal. People can feel better. Um, uh, you know, the, the subtle changes that I didn't notice at first, that people will come in and they'll start crossing their legs and then what? And, you know, doc, look, I'm like, what? And I can cross my legs, you know, <laughs> but because they couldn't for so long. But the uh, waking up of, of uh, it's almost like um, the regaining of the life they thought they had lost takes in so many forms, you know, being able to play with the kids, the grandkids, uh, to do things they thought they'd never be able to do. But scientifically, what is astounding is we're watching people, people, not academics, watching people push forward the knowledge. And, and one example of that is in type one diabetes. This is where people have no insulin internally, they need to inject insulin. But they found people with type one on their own found that they would have fewer low blood sugars. And that's the, what everyone's afraid of is that the blood sugar will go too low and my child won't wake up. The parents are very nervous about it. And the type one group on a Facebook group called type one grit because you're gritty you know you're you're tough they found that they could lower the insulin and have fewer hypos and have normal blood sugars by just eating fewer carbohydrates it's an amazing story and then another scientific one of sort of biochemistry is that these people with this rare disorder called mccardle disease you know, I had to open up my textbooks when I learned about this again to relearn. It's a glycogen storage disease where they don't, uh, they're unable to store sugar in their muscle. What the people with the disorder found is that if they did keto, basically run their muscle on fat, they had all this extra energy. They, they went from having to stomp every 50 yards to pretend to tie their shoes because they were exhausted to climbing mountains. And, and it, you know, it's not just the energy. They would get a very serious condition. They would get rhabdomyolysis. They'd get muscle breakdown if they tried to run to catch the train for, or the bus, for example. And uh, the, the people tried these. Actually, four people got up at a keto meeting, and I went up and helped write the case series of these four people. The Stacy Reason, who has the disorder, uh, wrote the paper and I helped her. And then they got the world experts together to start doing research around using low carb keto diets for this orphan rare muscle disease. But that, that is kind of the, um, the uh, I, I guess the generalization of, we need to figure out what you know, muscle, liver, heart, the organ, what organs have we forgotten that they can run on fat really well? And when you take away mm -hmm. sugar from the diet, including the drinks, you know, the body, these organs will run on fat. And in many cases, they will fix diseases that we didn't know we could fix. And so that one is... Um, mm -hmm. I know it's esoteric. I know it's, it's uncommon, and, and but it, it um, the body loves running on fat. <laughs> That's the main, and there may be disease. Well, actually, there's a disorder of childhood epilepsy where the children can't burn sugar in the brain. So when you feed them sugar, you block the ketones and you actually give them epilepsy. This is the ketogenic diet yeah. for epilepsy story is that some children right. will have yeah. resolution of their epilepsy overnight. 
And it's because they can't run their brain on sugar. They have to run it on ketones. But if you feed them sugar, you stop the ketones and you can't burn fat and then they have seizures. And they usually don't figure that out until like 10 years old when they, um, the parents figure out there may be another way to go about it. Um, so that's kind of a related diet, the ketogenic diet for epilepsy. The keto diet for weight loss and diabetes is not as strict. It's not as draconian. You don't have to measure macro levels and ketone levels, although I know a lot of people are doing that in the diabetes, obesity, metabolic world. Uh, and you can do that, but you don't have to. Uh, so there are a lot of things I'm excited about. But you know, the day-to-day -day going to work, seeing people get better as a doctor is what I always wanted. And, sure. and yeah. we were able to create that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've, I've told this before, but you know, it's, it's really reinvigorated my medical career since I've started doing this because I actually see people, people get better rather than just giving them medication and, and, and exactly. nothing, nothing changes. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's really been fun for me. You can't um, unsee this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, well, all right. Well, uh, we're out of time here, but um, I always ask my guests to give us one health tip that could make us healthier today. I know you're the, the low carb guy. It can be that or something else, but, but what would you say? Yeah, uh, well, I'll stick to nutrition, you know, and, and just that be the big, uh, the big picture view. I, I wish that our culture, that, that medical, the medical world and nutrition world um, would value excellent nutrition. You know, that would go so far, you know, um, you wouldn't put dirty gas into your car. You know, why are, why are we putting junk into our bodies? We've gotten so used to that. And, you know, I grew up with that and that's kind of the major shift. What you eat really matters. And, you know, small amounts here and there. No, I don't think it's a big deal, but the big picture view, uh, get out of that whole middle of the grocery store mm. crap, yeah. <laughs> you know, garbage, we call it. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and it doesn't matter to me if you're vegetarian, meatitarian, ethically or religiously eat a certain way. It's just what you eat really matters and is really important. Uh, well, Dr. Westman, we appreciate your time. Uh, so the book is called End Your Carb Confusion, A Simple Guide to Customize Your Carb Intake for Optimal Health. Uh, your website is drericwestman.blog. Is there any other ways that people can get a hold of you? Yeah, so the adaptyourlife.com company okay. is a product company. Adaptyourlifeacademy.com is the educational side of the company where we have digital classes that you can sign up for. And what's fascinating is I've taught over a thousand people in the, just the last two months online, whereas that would take me you know, several years if I just had a clinic. So I'm really excited about getting more and more people the option of doing this through the uh, um, digital platform. Well, okay. Well, uh, thank you for your um, expertise and for your research on this very important subject and appreciate you guys listening and we will talk to you next time. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to FitRx. I invite you to share this with friends and family. If you would like, you can check out our website at vibrantlife.com dc.com or you can email me at drgreg at vibrantlifedc.com <laughs>